day is a part of our Lenten discipline for 1977. As has been announced through the newsletter and the bulletins, and for those who have taken the privilege to be a part of this program, please listen very, very carefully. For this is a very ambitious, dynamic, complicated, and a program that requires the cooperation of everybody participating. For those who have registered promptly and precisely at 5.30 p.m. tonight, we shall begin to eat our supper. We come together as families, couples, individuals. And for those who have registered, please be here ready to eat at 5.30 p.m. We'll eat in the colonial and plantation rooms. The committee will be ready for us to begin to gather around the tables, 5.15, 5.20, to eat at 5.30. Then at 6 o'clock, there will be a beehive of activity as the Westminster Choir will be meeting here in the sanctuary. The preschoolers will be meeting in another area. The children in another. The junior and junior highs together. The senior highs together. And then there will be seven adult discussion groups. We'll be using almost every room within this building and our educational building. And it's imperative we move on schedule so that everybody will be able to cooperate and get where they need to be on time. We're very sorry that we cannot accept more dinner or supper reservations. This is a light supper that will be prepared by a group that's been working very hard. But if you would like to participate in the discussions, which are based upon a personal Bible study, the sermons that will be preached from this pulpit the next three Sundays and today, if you want to be a part of the discussions and have not yet registered, it's too late for dinner, but if you will meet with Mrs. Kennedy in room 106 immediately following today's worship, you may get the agenda of questions and Bible passages to be studied, and we can, if you get here at 6 o'clock tonight, assign you to one of the discussion groups. As I say, it's a very ambitious program. We've been undergirding it with prayer. I personally am very excited with what I think the Spirit of God will be moving as together, families, couples, individuals, we meet together, not only for supper, but for study and discussion. Remember, it will be based upon the scriptural study together with the sermon, so take out your pencil and paper. We're going to get started today. This will be each Sunday during the month of March. And I ask you, please, to undergird this, not only with your prayers, but with your discipline of study and thought, and allow the Spirit of God to lead us in this particular Lenten season of 1977. Scripture reading today is Luke, the fourth chapter, beginning to read at the first verse. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, 
returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit for forty days in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing in those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will give his angels charge of you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And when the devil had ended every temptation... He departed from him until an opportune time. Amen. God created you and me to be vulnerable. That's a big word. But it's a good word. And God, in his wisdom, when he made you and me and every other human being, he made us to be vulnerable. I don't know why, and sometimes I wish he didn't. And when somebody asks me questions, why, I have to remind them and myself that I'm not in management, I'm in sales. I can't tell you why. God, for some reason or another, created you and me so that when we are living our earthly days, it is possible for our skin to be punctured, our bones broken, our muscles torn, our hearts, not literally, but spiritually, can ache, our minds can be tormented with suffering and with pain, our emotions can be trampled upon. Our eyes can tear. Our stomachs can ache with something that is not a real physical ailment. Our bodies die. I don't know why, but when God in his infinite wisdom decided to create the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, he did so in a particular way. And when he created you and me, humanity, he made us this way. Now knowing that God never makes a mistake and God works for the good in all things, there must be goodness in this vulnerability, this ability that you and I have to be open to attack and criticism, this ability we have to be assailable, woundable, 
This thing that we wish we didn't have, but which can come upon us without a minute's notice, this ability to hurt and to be in pain and to suffer. There must be good in it. And I think it's in the place that God made us vulnerable for two reasons. Two reasons. He made us vulnerable so that one... He could bring his will here upon earth, and two, that we may be equipped to fill the destiny for which we have been born. And when you think about it historically, you can remember, and if you know your Bible, that God was able to do things for his kingdom here on earth and work through people because of their vulnerability. May we not make these Old Testament and New Testament giants so big that we make them unreal. They were people. Pieces of God's humanity, no different than you and me. And he used their vulnerability to lead them to their destiny and to bring his kingdom here on earth. Take Abram. That man whom we call the granddaddy of our faith. Abram was an individual who had security there in the earth of Chaldees. He was old enough for social security and being a good Jewish man, if they had had it in that day, I'm sure he would have collected it. He was an individual, though, who was very content doing what he was doing. And something happened. And suddenly he risked his vulnerability... He listened to the word of the God, his God, and he got up with the rest of his family and left the earth of Chaldees and headed for the land of Canaan. And the book of Hebrews tells us he went out not knowing where he's going. That's vulnerability. And as a result of it, he became the father of our faith. And what's more important, he completed the destiny for which he was created. And he couldn't have done that without being vulnerable. He opened himself up voluntarily to be attacked, to be criticized, to be wounded. And he was. But in that vulnerability, he found his purpose in life and he became the father of the faithful. Moses. Moses had a good job with Jethro, his father-in-law. And he left it. He left the security of a good home. He stuck out his neck and he led the people through the wilderness to the promised land. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Elisha, Elijah. These individuals assailed themselves to the place where they became critical of the leaders of their day and were criticized for their critical comments. And out of that vulnerability came the school of the prophets. And where would we be without the prophets? The Apostle Paul, he had a good job. He was content with his present day thinking when suddenly he allowed himself to meet Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit on the Damascus turnpike. And he became a new man. And he volunteered himself for service. He was wounded. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was arrested. But because he was not ashamed nor afraid of his vulnerability and even boasted about the thorn that he had in his flesh, he became 
the leader of our church and the greatest apostle that has ever lived. All through vulnerability. And why not? Look at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ thought it not wrong in the form of humanity to take upon himself the form of a servant, to allow himself to be vulnerable. He allowed people to attack him. He led even when he was criticized. They put on him a crown, a crown of thorns. But nevertheless, through suffering, through pain, he crawled upon a cross. And your salvation and mine is built upon the fact that Jesus Christ was vulnerable. And if Jesus had not been vulnerable, we wouldn't be here today and we would have no assurance of salvation. That's how it all happened. And part of the thing that we're being blinded with today is the fact that we do not understand vulnerability as being a good thing. Something that God is using to fulfill not only His will, but our personal destinies. I don't know how many people I run into from time to time who are under the impression, and these are good people, good people, who think that because they read their Bible, say their prayers, come to Sunday school and church and don't fall asleep, they give a tithe and they try to do what is right. They see, somehow feel that they should never have to suffer, never know pain, never be criticized, never really have to stick their neck out and risk their vulnerability. I don't know where they get that idea. You don't get it from the Bible. Vulnerability is something that is a part of life. God created us that way. And he uses that vulnerability for the good to bring forth his will and also to enable us to fulfill the destinies for which we have been created. The Bible nowhere tries to tell us that we will escape our vulnerability. No, not at all, but rather it tells us to use our vulnerability in a royal, royal way. The Bible never tells us how to escape injury and from being harmed and hurt, but rather how to overcome the hurt, the suffering, the pain, the criticisms, the vulnerability which is ours by the decree of God. Now listen closely because you see... I believe, based upon the teaching we heard today, that there's a power of evil that is always trying to get you and me to believe that we are invulnerable, that we can escape our vulnerability, that we don't have to be wounded, that nothing will happen to us. Always, every day, we are faced with that temptation to deny what God wants to use for the good. The thing that we sometimes despise, but within the eyes of God is good, vulnerability. I want you to study that passage in the first 13 verses of Luke's fourth gospel. It's also in Matthew's Gospel. 
but which tells us about Jesus' temptation. Now please keep in mind that that experience, according to the writer, happened to Jesus when he was alone. Jesus had no private secretary, no public stenographer. When he went into the wilderness, he had no tape recorder and no historian taking photographs. That experience happened to Jesus when he was alone. And the only reason we found out about it, or have found out about it, is that Jesus must have told his disciples and impressed upon them the importance of it, so therefore the biographers, at least two of them, wrote about it. Otherwise, we'd have no knowledge of it. Now, to me, that little fact of Jesus' insistence and the leading of God's Spirit who directed the biography writers to record that for all time is saying that this is something important. In my own mind, this is just not an historical account which is being reported, but Jesus wanted this known and studied by all of us because I think he's trying to tell us that temptation comes to us not in any 40-day period, but every day of our lives. Every day we are being tempted just as was Jesus. And we are being tempted to deny our vulnerability. And by the force of evil, we're trying to believe that we are invulnerable and that nothing can hurt us, and that's not true. Remember, Jesus was hungry. Forty days he had been there. He hadn't had a thing to eat, and he was starved. And there were little stones out there in the wilderness, and Jesus had the power. He had the resources. He had the ability to turn those stones into bread. And he was tempted to deny his hunger and to say to those stones, I'll make you into bread. He had that power. He could have been selfish. He could have fed his own wants. You see, you and I have the temptation every once in a while, don't we? To use the power, the resources that God has given to us, our money, our time, our prestige, our power, to use that particular gift selfishly for our own needs and our own wants and to forget that we are to be stewards and brothers with one another. We can use those selfishly and every day, I don't care where you are, at school, home, office, you are tempted to use your specific individual power selfishly. All for the purpose of escaping vulnerability. Believing that if you use the power selfishly, you'll be able to be invulnerable and you'll no longer be hungry. We need to be reminded man does not live by bread alone or alone by using his own power to secure his security. Second temptation that came unto Jesus. Jesus, bow down and worship me. Bow down and worship what is evil and everything will be granted unto you. And Jesus says, the Lord God, you worship him and only him do you serve. Only him. Boy, we have the prophets of evil out today. I've been down in Florida for a while, and the newspapers down there about that state, just as we have them about leaders in our state. We're beginning to believe in our society that everybody's crooked. Fudge on the 
expense account. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Get what you can. Forget absolutes. Forget what is right. Get what you can. Bow down and worship every little god of evil you can. And by that way, you'll escape your vulnerability. That will bring you the security of invulnerability. You won't be hurt. Go ahead. Everybody does it. Everybody. You're square if you're honest and you're right. I hear that from people. Young people. That's sad. And every day, aren't we? Because the other guy's doing it. Why shouldn't we do it? We are being tempted to worship some other God than the God of righteousness and justice and mercy. We're tempted, as also was Jesus, to believe that we can do anything, anything. Evil force said unto Jesus, Go, throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. That's like saying, Go throw yourself off the top of the United States Steel Building. And if God is God, He'll send His angels. He'll protect you. He'll pick you up. Do anything you want to do. God will take care of you. We hear it today. Go ahead. Do your own thing. Do your own thing. <laughs> If God's a God of love, He'll take care of you. Do not tempt the Lord your God. See how we're tempted all the time? So many voices out today in a humanistic form of philosophy that's trying to tell us we're good, we're so good that we are invulnerable. Don't believe it. That's a lie. We are vulnerable. And we have the power of bringing harm to ourselves and other people when we live selfishly, feeding only our own wants and desires. We can be vulnerable and yield to the other gods who will lead us to hell. And we are vulnerable in that there are some things that God cannot pull us out of if we're asinine and stupid enough to get into it. We're vulnerable. And don't ever think we're not. But the thing that we want to do is to remember that we are vulnerable not in an evil way, but in a royal way. God is using this vulnerability to fulfill His will and to bring us to the joy and the happiness and the completion of our destiny. Here's the way I think He does it. Four points. One, we are on the royal road of vulnerability when, one, we remember that we are vulnerable. <laughs> That's why I think Jesus had the gospel writers put it down, that he was tempted and to remind us that we can be tempted. And the best way to remain vulnerable is to remember that we are not invulnerable and there will always be attempts to remind us and to tempt us to become invulnerable. Remember, you are born for suffering and you will suffer. You are born for pain and you will have pain. You are born to die and you'll die. Remember that. Secondly, let us recall our history. 
Because by recalling history, we learn one main fact, and that is that in spite of our vulnerability, God has brought us on a pilgrimage of growth. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. You know, that's one of the great things I enjoy about my friends, the Jews. They have so many religious holidays. This past week it was Purim. Recounting a great moment in Jewish history when those people have to sit down and recall the fact that through vulnerable people, God nevertheless got his will done. We do it in the Christian church, not enough. We do it at Advent. That's a time of preparation. We're doing it right now in Lent, in recalling the historical fact of our faith. I think one of the things that has made a big difference in our United States in the last couple of months is that since that great 4th of July, when we had to recall some of our great glorious history, we have done a little bit better job in knowing who we are. Recall the history, and there you'll see how vulnerable people were used by God. Three, reclaim Reclaim the faith that is ours. And the faith that is ours is best described by Paul in his great treatise to the Romans, which says that we are saved not by works, but by faith. And that we are individuals who, if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, we are saved. And I'm getting sick and tired of saved people in the church who are doing so much talking about salvation, they forget to live as saved people. We spend too much time in the elementaries of the faith instead of getting into the meat. And the meat comes when a person accepts in faith and in action the faith that he is saved. And he lives as a redeemed person. He knows, as Paul says, that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come in spite of the suffering and the pain, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Yes, we'll suffer. We'll be critical, criticized. We'll stick our necks out and get hurt. But thank God, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Reclaim your faith. After you remember the vulnerability of the past heroes and after you remember that you are vulnerable and then don't let it die there fourthly let us rededicate ourselves anew to some form of action not talk but some form of action to prove that we are vulnerable and that we have overcome the temptation to believe that we are invulnerable. Yes, I'm suggesting during this Lenten season that you take upon yourself not only the knowledge that you are vulnerable, but you express that vulnerability by some specific action. It doesn't have to be too big, but do something, do something which shows that you are vulnerable, that you're willing to run a risk, stick your neck out, Fulfill the will of God and to come to your personal destiny.
may be nothing more than singing the hymns more loudly next Sunday. It may mean that you take those scripture passages and every day you get up 15, 20 minutes early and you study. It may mean that you decide for this month you're going to take your salary and the 10% off the top. You're going to run the risk of giving it to some worthwhile charity. It may mean that you're going to get involved in some program that's not too popular but which you know is right. You see, that's what Anita Bryant is doing down in Florida. And praise God for her, I thank him for her. She lost her contract because she stuck out her neck for what she believed was right. That's what I'm talking about, vulnerability. You'll get hurt, yes. You'll suffer, yes. We'll be criticized if we take a dream that we've been holding back, but which we believe now must go. Things will happen. Tomorrow we bury Grace Dixon Eisenberg. Many of you know her far better than I. I've known her for a long time, and as long as I've known her, she's a woman who suffered, suffered, suffered. I don't think there's anybody I've ministered unto who has suffered as much in life as has Grace. She just couldn't die. And her last hours, weeks, have been of suffering. But you know, throughout all of it, I never heard Grace complain. Never once. In hospitals, at home, wherever we talked, she was always a witness to her faith. Always. And she died that way. And she died not denying or being angry at her vulnerability, but realizing that this was her witness to the power of God and the power of a human being. That's what it's all about, folks. That's what it's all about. In God's army, there is only room for wounded soldiers. Don't forget it. Amen. Father, once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide. In these days, in these hours, at this particular time in history, we believe you have raised us up to be your people and to do the things you would have us do. Father, lead us. 